Welcome to the Good Shepherd New York podcast. Good Shepherd New York is a community helping New Yorkers embody the love of Christ for the good of our neighbors. For more information, go to goodshepherdnewyork.com. May you be filled with curiosity, grace, and peace as we listen and learn together through this sacred text. And now we're reading from Matthew, chapter 21, verses 33 to 46. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them, more than the first time, and the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they replied, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants, who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. Anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. They looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. The Gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Good morning, Good Shepherd. I hope you're doing well this week. If you happen to be new to our church, my name is Michael Redzina, and it's truly an honor not only to have founded this community, but to continue to pastor, to lead, and to learn from it as well. We've just heard our gospel text. It's a parable told by Jesus to Jerusalem leaders. There was a watching crowd beholding every word that Jesus spoke, and there was a hard saying attached to the end of it. But before I offer my reflection on this text, I'd like to invite you to take a brief moment to become fully present, to open your heart. I know that you bring into this moment many thoughts and feelings, but we invite you to show up just as you are with a sense of honesty. It could be lots of faith or doubt, lots of hope or despair, lots of energy or lethargy, or somewhere in between. But if you would, take a few quiet moments and as best as you know how, open your heart to the possibility that our loving creator could take this story and connect it to our story in a powerful way.
God of compassion, reach forth your loving hand and help us exactly where we need it this morning. In the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be world without end. Amen. Well, it's not every week that I offer you several alliterated points, but on this chaotic week, maybe I just needed to create a little bit of order. So today I'm gonna to give you four words that basically offer angles from which I'll approach this text today. This morning, I'd like to talk about the vision, the voices, the violence, and the vulnerability. I feel better already. So let's jump in. Now we begin with the vision. Jesus tells a story of a landowner, a landowner who planted a vineyard. Now this was a common metaphor in the Hebrew Bible. It often referred to the project that God was cultivating through the people of Israel. They themselves understood themselves to be the vineyard and God was the vine dresser or the farmer. Now, early in the prophet Isaiah in chapter five, we see this metaphor used to summons the people back to its calling. And it's there that the prophet says this, quote, let me sing for my beloved, my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it, he cleared it of stones, and he planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it, and he hewed out a wine vat in it. He expected it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, inhabitants of Jerusalem and people of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I expected it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now, I'll tell you what I'll do to my vineyard. I'll remove its hedge and it shall be devoured. I'll break down its wall and it shall be trampled down. I'll make it a waste and it shall not be pruned or hoed and it shall be overgrown with briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel and the people of Judah are his pleasant planting. He expected justice, but he saw bloodshed, righteousness, but heard a cry, end quote. Now, there will be more to consider about this text in a moment, but listen to the vision connected to this image of a vineyard. What was the fruit that was expected from this project? Now, what was the outcome that God hoped for when it came to the people of Israel? What was the vision for this vineyard? Well, it's loud and clear at the end of this text. He expected justice. He saw bloodshed. Righteousness, but he heard a cry. Right? The vision here was justice and righteousness. Now, Jesus in Matthew's story has also been casting a vision. It's a vision connected to the Hebrew prophets before him. Jesus calls this, the vision, uh, calls this vision the kingdom of God. Now, this phrase repeated so often in Jesus' teaching is basically his shorthand for a vision of human flourishing. It bears the name kingdom because he inherited a rich tradition of speaking this vi about this vision as a rival vision to the empires, empires of history, from Egypt to Babylon to Assyria, on up to Jesus' day where Rome was in power. 
See, the kingdom of God that Jesus talked about was an alternative way to human empire. And it's what life should look like. It's God's desire, God's dream for humanity. It's basically what life looks like when God gets God's way. Now, perhaps the most powerful summary of this vision is in Matthew 5 through 7, what's called the Sermon on the Mount. And here we get those famous Beatitudes where Jesus turns our vision of blessing upside down by drawing our attention to the victims, the ones who've been swept under the wave of human violence. Blessed are the poor in spirit, Jesus says, those who mourn, those who are meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful, blessed are the pure in heart, or the peacemakers. And to top it all off, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Right? It's to these that Jesus says the kingdom of God belongs, and he treats them like it. He embraces them. He shows solidarity with them. He builds a community in which those who had always been shunned were welcomed and loved. Now, as the body of Christ, we are called to be that blessing, right? This is the pulsing center of Jesus' vision. Now, if I could, as a quick aside, sort of address the danger in this political moment of getting caught up in partisan outrage, of losing touch with this pulsing center of real human need, right? There are times for righteous anger and for passion, but we should all be aware when our love seems to move toward theoretical love in service of our ego or our tribe, whether it's the unborn for the conservatives or perhaps the poor and the disadvantaged for the liberals. Right? Jesus kept touch with this center by consistently doing something about it, not just talking and arguing about it. Now, it's here in the Sermon on the Mount that we get concrete descriptions of violent cycles that humanity gets stuck in, right? both as perpetrators and as victims of injustice. And Jesus includes here bold invitations, these practical ways out of these violent cycles. It's a vision that comforted the afflicted and it afflicted the comfortable. Which brings me to my second heading, the voices and the violence. Now, what's going on with the voices and the violence in our text today? It's ironic that in the Isaiah text I just read, Rather than finding righteousness, when God looks to the people of Israel, he hears a cry. It's ironic because, in fact, it was their cry that began the story of Israel as a people. In the passionate prayer of Psalm 80, the psalmist picks up on this image of the vineyard, and he says this whole vision began with Israel's cry for justice in the first place. Quote, Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we would be saved. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. Turn again, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see. Have regard for this vine, the stock that your right hand planted. End quote. See, the core story of their national identity is rooted in a cry for justice and of deliverance from violence. It's a desperate call for righteousness. It's not the theoretical morality or the ethic of the philosopher or the theologian, no. It's a moral desire born from the pain of personally suffering under immorality and injustice. And in Isaiah, God looks for this righteousness from the people, and instead, 
he hears a cry. Right? This has been the role of the prophetic voice, voice after voice after voice in history, sent to humanity to wake us up, to hear those cries once again. They're voices of poets and dreamers like Isaiah or Ezekiel or Jeremiah, or in Jesus' time, John, with their eccentric and often dramatic ways of communicating to people as a whole, and especially to the powerful. That we've lost touch with God's beautiful vision for life, and that we're guilty of the violence of ego and empire, and that we must wake up and that we must change. That's what the voice is all about. Now, in Jesus' parable, these voices are the delegations, right? The landowner sends these two delegations of servants to collect the fruit. But each time, they're beaten, they're stoned, and they're killed, right? They're resisted. Now, here we see this long pattern of prophetic voices resisted by violence. The prophetic voice is typically welcomed by those crying out under injustice. Why? Because in the prophetic voice, they hear their own, right? They feel divine concern and they're infused with a hope that deliverance is possible. But that same prophetic voice is typically resisted by, and resisted violently by the powerful. And oddly, it's often the powerful who have claimed a sort of theoretical moral high ground that's detached from real suffering of humanity. It's like a noble ribbon or bow tied on the package of hypocrisy and of injustice. That was the position of the Jerusalem leaders of Jesus' day. They had their high ground of the elders. They were the primary funders of the community. The scribes, they were the trained scholars of the community. And the chief priests, well, they were the aristocracy, right? They brokered the political power of Rome while also playing the symbolic role of mediator between God and humanity. Now, each of them, in their own right, had cultural cachet, right? They had a form of apparent authority. Each of them, resisted the vision of these prophetic voices, and ultimately they resisted the vision of the Son of God, Jesus himself, with his invitation to repent and change. Now this brings me to the last heading, the vulnerability. Jesus ends his story of corrupt farmers killing the delegations and landowner's son with a question. He asks in verse 40, therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to these tenants? And here we begin to see just how deep the violent cycles of humanity take us. When we're trapped in these cycles, as victims or as perpetrators, or perhaps some level of, uh, perhaps both at some level, we begin to believe a myth. Because we take violence with its exclusion and its greed and its coercion for granted, we believe the only way to fight violence is with violence. Jesus asks, how will the landowner respond to these violent resistors And the leaders, they answer as naturally we would be inclined to answer. It's an answer found among the Proud Boys or Antifa. It's an answer that's betrayed by our disgust and our outrage in political discourse. It's an answer that's at the core even of our military policies and playbook. When we experience or perceive violence, we should respond with violence. It's the terrible cycle of hurt people hurting more people. He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, the Jerusalem leaders reply. And you can hear the venom and the disgust in their voice. You can hear it in our presidential debates. You can hear it in our social media debates. And if I'm honest, I, like you, experience it in my own heart. 
Like this answer is a true palm to the forehead moment for Jesus, right? He knew that their answer would be something like this, but he still was exasperated. Like listen to the tone of his response, quote, have you never read the scriptures? End quote. And then Jesus begins to point them toward the divine response to human violence. And he reveals a consistent phenomenon. He quotes Psalm 118. It's a psalm that becomes huge in the New Testament as followers of Jesus try to make sense of what's going on with Jesus' life and message and what it means for the world. Psalm 118 reads this way, quote, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it's marvelous in our eyes, end quote. Now, what is this stone that's being rejected? What's been on the edge that's now being brought to the center? What is this marvelous divine activity that exists in the world? Well, we see it in the suffering of Christ leading up to and experienced on the cross. He was beaten, he was mocked, and he was crucified. And at every turn, he refused to return blows. He even heals the ear of the guard arresting him, and he cries out for forgiveness for those who kill him. Yes, you say, but when he returns, won't he do what the Jerusalem leaders suggested? Right? Bring the wretched to a wretched end? But no. When Jesus returns to those who have betrayed and abandoned and even denied him, he doesn't come with anger or retribution. Instead, he comes with a simple but profound message. Peace be with you, he says. Blessed are the peacemakers indeed. And so it is that God meets the violent injustice of our world and our hearts with the vulnerability of peace and of forgiveness. It's a truth-telling peace to be sure. It doesn't shy away from pointing out injustice or violence or hypocrisy, but it refuses to get swept away into its game. See, Jesus rejects the wretched response that the Jerusalem leaders anticipate, but he does pick up on their idea about moving the job onto others. Jesus, after quoting the Psalm about the stone uh, of vulnerability being rejected, says, quote, therefore I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to people who will produce its fruit. See, these leaders, they presumed that they were on God's side. There's a lot of that happening right now. They presumed that they had rightful authority, right? They were not producing the fruit of God, however. Now, I ask you, how can we take Jesus' cue here to prioritize the fruit of God's vision, God's dream, God's kingdom? Where are we tempted to accommodate or to compromise? In our compromises, where are we tempted to keep calling it good and noble rather than calling it what it is, a failure to produce the fruit of God's kingdom? And where may the fruit of this kingdom be found in surprising places? See, this concern for justice and righteousness, this attentiveness to the cries of the poor and the powerless, where can it be found today? To the victims of violence. May God's Spirit guide us toward Christ this week, that we would be a people who internalize his vision, who listen to his voice, who join his resistance to violence, and imitate his vulnerable love. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Good Shepherd New York podcast. Good Shepherd New York is an interdenominational church centered around the life and teachings of Jesus Christ. Our church is theologically rooted in the Apostles and Nicene Creeds, 
but we welcome people of any or no religious backgrounds to participate in our community. If you would like to support us, please text Good Shepherd NY, all lowercase with no spaces, to 77977. That's Good Shepherd NY to 77977. Or visit our website, goodshepherdnewyork.com. Thank you for listening.